Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. ESNY. After 7.30, rolling as always with my co-host Chip Murphy. Chip, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. Just enjoying a little little wind down on, uh, I guess, uh, Labor Day weekend. Heading back into work tomorrow um, for the schools. I know, Chip, you know, you, you've know you been in the past week now. I'll, I'll be heading in tomorrow just to kind of do some building stuff. Um, but... Uh, you know, a, a little bit of old news, but, you know, very, very interested to see uh, the big splash that the Brooklyn Nets made in the midst of the NBA playoffs. Uh, probably one of uh, the biggest news pieces that has come out in quite some time. Uh, hiring Steve Nash as the newest coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Chip and I immediately started texting each other frantically about trying to get a podcast and seeing if we could get... Uh, someone Brooklyn Nets related uh, to come on, and we are very pumped to bring on uh, SB Nation's uh, Nets Daily writer Nolan Jensen. Nolan, how you doing, man? Uh, first and foremost, appreciate you guys having me on here. Really talk. I'm really excited to talk about some uh, Steve Nash news, especially being a Canadian Nets fan. Uh, besides that, you know, <laughs> I'm doing well. It's uh, it's a beautiful day out here in Vancouver, British Columbia. Forget you guys are not dealing with Celsius. It's about like 80, 85 Fahrenheit. <laughs> I got a semester tomorrow, so this is my last day of winding down before my life gets a little more uh, uh, intimidating, I should say. But uh, you know what? I- I'm doing well. That's about all you can really hope for um, amid everything that's going on in 2020. So, And again, I appreciate you guys having me on here. I'll take it, man. I love the positive outlook. Um, I'm assuming... You might have a similar outlook uh, for the Steve Nash hire. I'm very interested to get your thoughts. I think the 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 first place I want to start is just your immediate reaction, right? Like prior right. to the actual news breaking, um, you know, you you hear rumors about Pop. You hear, you know, Jock Vaughn, you know, got got an interview. Um, there are so many names thrown around. Mark Jackson, which I know, you know, causes everybody to to screech and curl up. Um, so just your, your immediate reaction, you see the Woj bomb and, and Twitter is just absolutely blown up. What's the first thing going through your mind? It's funny because here on the West coast, I woke up about 10 AM that morning of the Steve Nash hiring. So everyone already had the news. It was already one o'clock you guys this time. Um, I woke up and I was, I was in a state of shock. Exact same thing happened. Funny enough with the Kenny Atkinson firing where I woke up late and I'm like, no, this what? No, no way Kenny Atkinson got fired. Um, now that I've actually had time to digest it and reflect on it accordingly, I, I'm just as excited as I was September 3rd when the, um, when the hiring was formally announced. Um, we obviously know who Steve Nash, the basketball player was, uh, back-to-back MVP, uh, one of the greatest floor generals of all time. This is obviously his first shot at a head coaching gig. Um, it was out of left field. I don't think anyone really expected it. The, the funny thing is that Sean Marks uh, came out after the fact that this hiring was, they knew Steve Nash was a guy back in May, but the Nets, you know, leaks aren't exactly commonplace, a little tight-knit organization, and that's obviously a good thing because uh, absolutely no rumor surfaced whatsoever. I had no idea Steve Nash was on the radar. Personally, I thought it was going to be Ty Lue. Um, Ty Lue is now the front runner, I think, for the Sixers gig, and I hope he gets that. I hope he gets another shot in the NBA. But uh, Steve Nash is a guy that can walk into a any environment whatsoever. It doesn't matter which the stars are present in the room and command respect, and that's what um, – 
was in the Adrian Wojnarowski piece about Steve Nash. So that was obviously going to be important. You have Kyrie Irving, you have Kevin Durant. The philosophies were always going to have to, to align. They're going to have to obviously get along. But beyond that, they were going to have to respect the newest coach. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen here with Steve Nash. So I'm excited. Uh, how do you guys feel about it? Um, I, you know what? I, so I, I guess I went through a couple of different reactions. I think first off, um, you know, something that you touched on the, the lack of experience was definitely something that, that hit me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one is going to question Steve Nash's ability to understand basketball, uh, draw plays and understand spacing and where people should be on the court. Like he was amazing at, um, elevating the level of play for himself and other people on, on the team. But, um, I, I was, I think I was a little bit surprised. It was, it was a great name. It was a great splash, but I think when you did have some candidates out there, um, you know, with, with more of a track record and specifically a track record in the postseason, I think it, it took me as a a little bit of a, a, a shock. But, uh, then when I started to hear a little bit about, um, Nash's relationship with KD. I do think right. that you you start to see where, you know, the um, the weight that maybe that that had a little bit. Chip, Chip, what did you think? Yeah, I was shocked too. And you mentioned the Woj article, Nolan. I guess they they painted it in there like Nash had learned a lot from being with the Warriors and kind of observed Steve Kerr, and he was soaking everything in and. I guess that's a good thing. I don't know if he'd always planned on coaching or not, or if this was kind of a reluctant decision, but it sounded like Cy and Marks had been recruiting Nash for a while. And it didn't feel like there was like a coaching search or anything. They just kind of gave the courtesy interview to Jock Vaughn because of how well he did coaching the Nets in the bubble. And he did a really good job. So I think it's a smart move to keep him on as an assistant. But yeah, it just felt like, okay, Nash is the guy and we're going with him, which was really surprising considering he had a lack of experience. But yeah, the the Woj article, they kept using the word communicator, communicator, and he communicates well. And he and uh, Marx even said, like, Kate, when he was asked what Kyrie and KD wanted, uh, they wanted a good communicator. Like someone they respected and someone who can communicate. And Marks called Nash the ultimate communicator. It's like, okay, I guess they want someone they can talk to. And Steve Nash is someone they can talk to. So uh, I guess we'll we'll see. I mean, it's not like we can really judge it too well, can we? Because he's never had a job in basketball before. So what do we really know? What can yeah, you really the- we can't judges plays we can't what, what are we supposed to say other than that yeah we're just in shock right now still yeah that's that's the yeah that's the 22 of this hiring is that there is no proven track record because he has no previous stints as a head coach in the nba um you could you could point out you could allude to like recent successes uh rookie head coaches have had but that's also mm-hmm. not to say that steve nash is going to have synonymous levels of success as like ty Lue did in 2016 or steve kerr in 2015 yeah. or even nick nurse last year right that's you know kind of like a, a in a sense a bit of a lazy take but at the same time you mentioned Jacques vaughn that to me was absolutely huge that he got kept on as a team's lead assistant and yeah. you know more notably the highest paid lead assistant in the NBA, which goes to show how much Sean Marks and company are uh, are fond of Jacques Vaughn within that organization. Um, the Golden State connection, he was the player development consultant there for the past few years. He worked alongside Kevin Durant. I mean, he gave Steph Curry tips, pointers on how to shoot the basketball. And unless you have, you know, a tremendous amount of respect, that's just not going to happen. Steph Curry is obviously the greatest shooter, at least in my opinion, that the NBA world has ever seen so he can command that respect you mentioned the communicator that's what they wanted that's what they got that's what Sean Marks told Adrian Wojnarowski in that ESPN article scheme wise we don't know yet he's going to have to be malleable it's going to it's going to be really helpful that he's going to have Jacques Vaughn in his ear at all time uh, reinforcing philosophies or guiding him and helping him along the way here because it's you know it's, 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 it's a hard situation to be put in as a rookie head coach to command a uh, contender, especially with the likes of like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, who have been out- outspoken in the past in the media, and that's always not a bad thing, but that's just how it is. Um, 
Bob Myers obviously was really impressed with Steve Nash. Um, you know, like as, to go back to what I just said, we don't really know the scheme wise. We don't really know what kind of offense we're going to see. Apparently it's going to be really fast. Um, we'll see how he is in the half court setting in the playoffs. But as of right now, I am, you know, pretty optimistic. I'll, I'll say cautiously optimistic. That feels like a good thing to say. Yeah, I think um, it's funny as, as, as Chip was talking about uh, Nash as a communicator, I do. I, I remember for the Knicks that being a very big selling point for David Fisdale, um, you know, prior to him. Because prior to him, we had Jeff Hornacek, and yeah. Hornacek, you know, kind of ran out his, um, you know, relationship with the players. You know, was a little bit rough, and then it was that was kind of Fizz's selling point. Like players love him. You know, he's he's great for the locker room. Um, you know, and 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 who knows? I, I'm not Steve Nash's one on far much more of a higher level than David Fisdale ever has. I mean, you know, not maybe not as an assistant coach, but um, I guess the, the thing that, that scares me the most is that uh, Katie and Kyrie were both injured in year one of, of their four-year deals. And Nash comes on with not a lot of experience. And I just wonder what the growing pains are going to be like with him and how much the organization is going to um, support or be nurturing to him in that way because everything to me seems like it's going to be sped up very quickly now because right. Katie and Kyrie have three years left. Um, we we don't know what type of shape uh, they're going to be in, you know, next year. And I just, you know, if, if the ball starts to come out a little bit slow or, or if there's rumors that, uh, you know – not drawing up the best plays in crunch time or playoffs. Like I, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, maybe it won't matter because Ky, I, KD and Kyrie are that good, you know, like they're that good, but it's just, um, I'm very interested to see what the growing pains will look like with this team and how they navigate those. What do you, what would you say about that? It's a good point, right? Because as you mentioned, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I mean, they haven't taken the floor yet as teammates outside of an all-star game appearance. We still don't really know what Kevin Durant is going to look like at 32 off of one of the worst injuries an NBA player can sustain with that ruptured Achilles. Kyrie Irving played 20 games this year. He's had a long list of injuries. Health is always going to be an asterisk when you talk about these Brooklyn Nets. If they are healthy, right now, they're one of the favorites, I think, to come out of the East next season. But health... It's, we, it's still a question. There's a lot of questions regarding this Brooklyn Nets squad. And now you have Steve Nash, who is a rookie head coach. There are going to be growing pains. Like, I fully expect him to start off the season, you know, a little slow. Maybe not to a 4-7 and seven record like they had this year before Kyrie Irving got hurt in that uh, Denver Nuggets game. But if they start off 6-5, and 7-6, and six, that's not going to be really surprising to me. I mean, Miami Heat year one with uh, LeBron James and their big three started off nine and eight um, year one Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron James. They were like below 500, nearly 40 games into the season. So a slow start, it wouldn't surprise me, but you do have to reinforce, you know, confidence into Steve Nash and the remainder of the <coughs> coaching staff, excuse me, that though their title window is short and it is, um, summer 2021 is looming. Who knows what the hell is going to happen that off season, but it's also for the long haul where you do have two to three seasons where you're realistically are contenders. If you're after a slow start, we shouldn't exactly demonize Steve Nash and his schemes, et cetera, et cetera, because he is going to be growing alongside, um, the remainder of this Brooklyn net squad in year one of their official title window. So yeah. Um, so start wouldn't exactly be surprising to me, but I do expect them to hash out any uh, inconsistencies in their game. And post all-star break is what I'm really looking at. You have to click then. You have to make a strong final push into the postseason, but a, a slow start wouldn't be exactly be surprising to me. And I wouldn't be all that um, scared, I should say, if they do get off to one of those slow starts. So one of the big, t just to switch uh, quickly, and we'll go back to Nash, obviously, in a minute, but one of the biggest topics on Nets Twitter is obviously what they're going to do with Karis LeVert. Mm. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on if you think uh, 
the Nash hire makes it more or less likely that they try and swing a trade with Levert for a third star. Man, it's tough because Bradley Beal has been mentioned on Nets Twitter basically since yeah. July 1st, 2019, the day after we got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Um, is Bradley Beal going to be – is he accessible? Can you can you call up the Washington Wizards GM? Is Can you pull a trade? I, I think they're still looking to see what he's going to look like with Wall and everything. I don't think they necessarily have to make that deal, um, especially before next year's trade deadline. I don't. I've always thought that that is. Uh, I mean, it's it's possible, but it's it's a little out of reach. Do you want to pull a deal for Drew Holiday, who is going to be thirty um, in the bubble? He didn't look that fantastic. Um, he's got a player option, not at the end of next year, but the year after that. Um, there's been health concerns throughout his career, even though you know as of late he's been better on that end. But that's still, I, I, you know, it is another concern, especially when you have Kyrie Irving, who has had his no fair share of injuries in the past. And Kevin Durant, 32 years old, coming off the Achilles tendon, do you want to sacrifice depth for that? Um, I, my take is Spencer Dinwiddie at the end of next year is going to inevitably decline his player option and probably enter free agency. The Nets right now operating on margins already going to be a tax team. I don't think you can pay him. Um, Jared Allen is going to be an RFA. He's going to probably command somewhere between like 12 to 16 off of that end of that rookie extension you can't really pay him either cares avert i mean he's going to be the 17th highest paid shooting guard in the nba next season he's he's their best asset um if sean marks goes for that third star i mean it remains to be seen but i really do think you can give this a shot at least until like next year's trade deadline um he's was absolutely incredible in the bubble he played a lot of minutes at the one um if Kyrie Irving plays a little off ball, that's that's intriguing. That's alluring. Or he could be a you know a supercharged up six man. A lot of the players he was playing with on the court, excuse me, in the bubble are probably going to be on the net second unit, and he was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, not too many players in the NBA in the bubble drove the ball as much as Karras did. He had twenty drives per game in those six seeding games where he shot the you know sixty percent from the field, and he had an assist to turnover ratio of like three to one. So that is really intriguing when you have elite, and I mean elite catch and shoot threats like Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Joe Harris. So I think you can legitimately give that a shot. If a deal is made, I mean, I'd love to have Spencer Dinwiddie on the roster next year. Don't get me wrong. I'd also love to have Jared Allen. Twenty, Yeah, he's only 22. He's really growing into himself. He's going to be elite center, at least in my opinion, down the road. He's a great role man in the pick and roll. Uh, role. Sorry, he's a great man. He's a great uh, rim protection. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so I would love to have them on the team next year. Is that completely viable? Uh, I'm not so sure. But uh, to answer your question, Chip, I'd like to keep Karras at least a little longer here. I'd like to give him a shot with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I think he's around that much. I think uh, I think that makes sense. And I think it's a good point that you make that you're in no rush, right? I mean, like you can see, just like you said, how this what this experiment looks like and run it up to the trade deadline and, and see how Nash, KD, Kyrie, Karras, and, and everybody meshes together. Um, look at a sample size that is large enough before you say, okay, in order for us, where you know, and, and also where do we rank within the Eastern Conference and, and amongst the big teams in the NBA, then you can say, okay, we, we clearly need something else or maybe Karras is... is developed even further um and i guess the next question i want to add on to that is uh you talked a lot about karis Levert and jared allen's development um kenny atkinson was obviously a major piece of that um i guess what different qualities do you think nash brings um as opposed to kenny atkinson and you know I, I, the other thing I kind of want to say is is if if the main reason that he's being hired as as kind of a better communicator, more of a player's coach, uh, even though I, I did hear prior to the firing that Kenny kind of was a player's coach or at least had somewhat of a reputation as such, um, you know, I don't know. Like, do do you question that decision making from from Sean Marks? If if obviously he has to appease the the best players, the highest paid players on his roster. But um, 
and and maybe I'm just dismissing Nash and because I, I again it's tough. I don't know much about his background besides being an, an elite um, Hall of Fame guard and mm-hmm. obviously a good communicator. But you know what 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 do you think will be the biggest difference between a, a Steve Nash team and a Kenny Atkins team in it? And will it be that the biggest difference is in the locker room as opposed to necessarily on the court? Okay, I think the biggest difference is going to be malleability. Uh, you just touched base on it. Kenny Axon was a great player development coach, and this is this goes far beyond his days in Brooklyn. You go back to uh, New York Knicks. Atlanta, too. With, uh, yeah, with Jeremy Lin and Lin Sanity. He played a huge part in that. Then you go to Atlanta under Coach Bud, and Jeff Teague credited Kenny Atkinson for, quote-unquote, saving his career and turning him into an all-star point guard. Uh, then you go... Obviously, to Brooklyn, you saw with D'Angelo Russell. He had an all-star breakout campaign under Kenny Atkinson, who, you know, played to his strengths, put him in the pick-and-roll a lot, where he was absolutely elite. Um, he shot a career-high in volume in threes. He turned into an all-star point guard under Kenny Atkinson. Uh, Karis Avert would have had a, pro- a breakout campaign a couple years ago, if not for injury. And I, you have to also credit Kenny Atkinson for that. And, and Jared Allen, but my my thing is, my question is, is Kenny Atkinson a player development coach specifically, or is can he be the guy to make those next steps after a 42-40 and 40 breakout campaign? Is he better off as a lead assistant somewhere, or can you, you know, confidently say that he can be a top six to eight coach in the NBA on a contender? And I'm not so sure because – as I just mentioned, I want malleability to be the biggest difference between Steve Nash and Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson almost stubbornly would stick to his schemes. doesn't matter the personnel on the floor. He would play chop in the pick and roll on the other side of the floor. A um, lot of pick and roll itself, a lot of shooting threes, not a lot of mid-range. Um, and he also kind of like Coach Bud is doing right now with the Milwaukee Bucks, he wasn't really in favor of playing his – you know, top guys, huge minutes in must-win games. With Steve Nash, I expect that all to be different. I don't know what Steve Nash's schemes are going to look like. Obviously, there's no sample size. I think Kenny Axton's still a great coach. I mean, what the Nets had on paper, they should not have had an eighth-ranked defense this year in terms of defensive rating, and they did. He's a great defensive mind. He was a great player development coach. But is he the guy that gets you over the hump? I'm not so sure. And ultimately, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving didn't believe so either, or else he would still be here. They co-signed Steve Nash. We mentioned the great communicator. We mentioned all that, all those intangibles, and that's great. Obviously, we haven't seen him on the floor yet, but I'm going to give him benefit of the doubt. I'm going to be cautiously sorry, optimistic that he can get the job done. So when the Nets hired Kenny, uh, he was kind of touted as like an offensive Defensive coach, but the defenses were always ranked higher than the offenses. Yes. So, and you kind of just alluded to that with like the heavy volume of threes, but they were 25th in percentage this year, even mm-hmm. though they had Joe Harris. But yeah, so I was wondering, like, what what do you hope that Steve Nash does differently with the offense that Kenny just it did seem like wasn't willing to do? I think what we saw with Jacques Vaughn in the bubble was Jacques Vaughn played to his star strengths. Um, mm-hmm. Karis Avert, even Joe Harris, surprisingly enough, they shot more mid-range. Jared Allen was put in the high post more. Uh, he was passer on the short roll. His assist numbers were uh, way up compared to what they were under Kenny Atkinson. Steve Nash, I feel like he's, he's going to play to the strengths of his stars. Um, being in the fast pace isolation heavy offense with the likes of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, two of the best shot creators in the NBA. I, that's what I would assume what the offense would look like. Um, I want to see malleability, Kenny Atkinson's in-game adjustments. They, you know, most naysayers of Kenny's, Kenny's coaching style would point out to that. And you know what? They'd have a point. I mean, we could be playing the San Antonio Spurs who had the best uh, mid-range efficiency and frequency in the NBA this year. And we would give LMA, you know, picking pops from 16 feet out all game. He's made a career off of that with absolutely no adjustments in sight because we were taking away the three-point line. So stuff like that, that's what, what I would want to see with Steve Nash moving forward. 
Right. It's like you're you're still running that drop coverage as as yeah. a defense, um, even when you know that team is so heavy in the mid range. Um, what do you who do you think? And I know that this is tough to maybe forecast, but um, who do you think will be maybe some names that Nash looks to to fill out his bench? I know I, I had seen some type of report that um, he may he may have reached out to Dirk as as like a player development guy, or um, you know who who else besides Jock Vaughn do you think might uh, be on the bench? Do you think there's a possibility that anybody? Um, from from the current bench that that Jock Vaughn was presiding over may come back next year. Um, there is one name um, that really stands out to me. One game, one name. Sorry, I would really like on this bench alongside Steve Nash and um, Jock Vaughn. Obviously, is actually Elvin Gentry. Uh, just got fired by the New Orleans Pelicans. Steve Nash played under him. Actually went to the Western Conference Finals under him in 2010, but ultimately lost to the Los Angeles Lakers, and that was the most success a Nash-led team had in any postseason. So Gentry, fast-paced offense in New Orleans, um, scored heavily in the paint. Obviously had his flaws, but as an assistant beside uh, Jacques Vaughn and Steve Nash, that is really appealing to me, and I think he would have the respect of that locker room. I know he has respect league-wide. Everyone loves him. Media loves him. Uh, even the New York media would probably go easy on him because he's such a nice guy. <laughs> uh, but that's that's one name that stands out to me. I would really like to have Alvin Gentry to fill out um, the rest of that coaching staff. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think as a, a couple of more questions come to mind. Like, I think, what do you see as, I guess, the, the most likely... Or, or how about this? What would what would you judge as success for Steve Nash's first um, year in charge? Uh, you know, and given the the star profile, the names on the roster, um, you know, the Eastern Conference could look very different next year. You know, Chip and I, I know we talked to a Bucks guy earlier this year uh, that mm-hmm. said there's no way Giannis is leaving Milwaukee. I don't, don't think it's changing. You know, yeah. who knows, right? Like the the Eastern Conference could be very different next year, but with KD, Kyrie, uh, a big name like Steve Nash, what would you consider even the given the fact that it's, this is a first-time head coach, what would you say that success looks like for the Brooklyn Nets in 2020? All right. Um Yeah, well, I'm just going to go all for it. The Eastern Conference, at least in my opinion right now is wide open. Right. Um the Bucks, they obviously have their flaws. The Raptors, likely going to lose Fred Van Vliet and Serge Ibaka. That's two major players within that system. The Celtics are really good. The Celtics right now probably are actually are my biggest fear in this next two to three year uh, title window for the Brooklyn Nets. I would say success, what I would deem a successful campaign. I mean, we've all been saying it on Nets Twitter. Uh, writers have been saying it. So I'm, I'm going to be about it. I'm going to say a successful campaign ends in the first title in Brooklyn Nets history in a parade in that borough. That's to me, that would be a successful season. Um, that's what I'm hoping this title window uh, brings about for the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, an Eastern Conference Finals appearance would be great. Um, but, you know, especially in the uh, beginning years of this millennium, the Nets came close twice, obviously, in 2002 and 2003, lost to you know far superior teams. Now the Nets have the chance to be that far superior team. They have the high profile. They got the big names. They might pursue a third star. It's time to bring home a uh, NBA championship. So that's what I want to say is a successful, uh, maybe not exactly next year, but definitely in the next two years, It's this should bring about one NBA championship. That's my that's my hot take for the day. Well, if that happens and you make it to Brooklyn, I'll, I'll come find you and Matt and share a beer with you because that would be pretty cool. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be ecstatic. Wait, Chip, uh, hold up. I think uh, your audio is out. Yeah, the audio cut. Oh, shit, my bad. No worries, man. No uh, worries. And, yeah, my bad. Uh, and no do you think you can do that without making a trade? The roster as is can win a championship? The hard hitters are the good ones. Um, 
I think at absolute bare minimal, the Nets need to go out and get a versatile wing. They potentially have to go out and get a backup stretch four. I mean, our center rotation is just too duplicative with DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen. I would like to pursue someone like an Aaron Baines. I would like to sign Mo Harkless or Paul Millsap with a mini MLE. You have to make moves like that. Um, the Miami Heat are showing right now, you get versatile wings, you can be incredibly successful in this league. I mean, they're a fifth seed, and they're just absolutely taking it to the Milwaukee Bucks because they have the personnel to do so. Another name would be Jay Crowder. Uh, I think Jay Crowder is playing himself into a bit of a more lucrative contract. I'm not sure if the Nets can be able to pull that off. But they have to make strong moves around the margins. If they do nothing drastic, I think that's the question, Chip. So if they keep even like Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen, can they win an NBA championship? Yeah. Uh, You got Kyrie Irving. You got Kevin Durant, two of the best shot creators. Right now, if they were healthy in the postseason, I mean, Kevin Durant, another hot take. I got two for you guys today. He was the best player in the world before <laughs> the Achilles injury. I think that was clear as day, at least yeah. in, my, in my humble opinion. Um, obviously, the Achilles tendon injury, but I am pretty optimistic that he can come back. I was a huge believer in the Dominique Wilkins theory. He hurt his right Achilles. He plants down with the left. I mean, and he's such a versatile scorer, right? He can give it to you from anywhere. He can post up. He can pull up on a dime. He can still probably get to the hoop. Um, the only thing I really fear is, like, a loss of lateral quickness defensively. He might not be that weak side rim protector. He wasn't going state. So I think you need to go out and get guys that can help the cause. But without doing anything too drastic with this main core, yeah, I'm going to say, I think they should be able to win the championship especially with how wide open the East is. Yeah, I think so too, especially when we've seen what we've seen from Milwaukee. And now we're recording this the night of game five of Boston, Toronto, Toronto's getting smoked. We don't know Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. I'm a huge Raptors supporter, uh, Kyle Lowry fan, but I mean, we don't know, like you mentioned with Fred Van Vliet, we don't know what's going to happen there. And Lowry's getting up there. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Celtics look like they're going to be around for a while, but the East is definitely wide open. Yep. And if Durant comes back at 90% of what he was, then the Nets, I mean, probably at least, if if not the favorite, they're right up there with the Bucks, And we have no idea what Giannis is going to do. I mean, holy shit. That's such a disaster. <laughs> oh, my God. I just got a question for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to flip it on you. Fred Van Vliet, um, rumored a Knicks target. How do you guys feel about that? Oh, man. So we, uh, yeah. Chip, I'll let you, you want to start it off? <laughs> Oh, I love him. Yeah, I love him. Like, the price I get is probably going to be out of control because he's looked so good this year, and he's so good defensively. And right. a lot of the metrics look, like, great. And there's some, like, when he his percentage in the restricted area and his percentage on drives is pretty brutal. But his defensive numbers, like, totally back up what you see on video and when you watch him, it's just clearly like, I think he leads the league in deflections per game. He's that. And with, at his size, that's so impressive. Yeah, it it just shows how active he is on defense. So he's just really fucking good. And if it stays below 20 mil per year, which Ooh. I don't think it will. Yeah. I, I don't think it will, but if, if he goes to the Raptors and they say, we'll, we'll give you a hundred mil, then yeah, obviously we're out. But I like, like Nolan said, the Raptors may just not want to pay him because they may be in on the Giannis sweepstakes too, for all we know. That's what everyone's saying. So they may be saving up their money for that. And I don't know. I feel like we could have a shot if that's the case, because there's not a lot of good teams with cap space and Fred Van Vliet's not a not going to want to go to a shitty team. He gonna do? He's gonna want to go from the Raptors to the Hawks? I don't think so. So we'll see. I, I don't know. The Heat, I guess, have cap space. They may be in on them, but I don't know. We'll see. I think we have a shot if the Raptors aren't willing to pay. Which that's all. We'll have to out. We'll have to overpay for them, obviously. But yeah. we do have a shot. You know what would really piss me off, like above all else, I think this offseason, is if you guys miss out on friend Van Vliet and decide to throw the bag at Joe Harris, just like a little too oh. rich for uh, Joe size. <laughs> I don't think anything would aggravate me more this off season is having to witness my favorite player, my guy, Joe Harris in a New York Knicks uniform. And like, it's actually a legitimate fear of mine that that it could, uh, you guys could venture down that road. 
Yeah, I, uh... that would infuriate. Like I was telling you before, my brother is a massive Nets Nets fan, and Joe Harris is his favorite player too. <laughs> it would infuriate him the same way. I think he's every Nets fan's favorite player. But yeah, like that would. Yeah, he's just such a. Li- I, I like him too. I like. I yeah. can't. I can't hate. I'm a Knicks fan. I can't hate Joe Harris. I would love. And yeah, I would love that Joe Harris was on the Knicks. Oh my god. He would be perfect for us for oh, what we need right now. I would be Kidding? so. I would be, be so great pumped. for us. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I know who else would be really pumped. Uh, R.J. Barrett, man, because uh, oh, you know you you give that that um, I think he's he's finally twenty now, but um, he's so strong. Uh, you know his explosion isn't great, but you you open up those driving lanes for him a little bit more with uh, you know a knockdown three point shooter. Um, career three-point shooter like a Joe Harris, and, and that just makes development a lot easier uh, in year two for R.J. Barrett. Um, I would love that. Going back to Fred Van Vliet, I would love him too. I mean, just to piggyback on what Chip said, his on and off numbers are still even really good without Kyle Lowry and Siakam and some of the other guys. Like Some people want to call Van Vliet a system player. Like That's not accurate. It's ridiculous. Yeah, so ridiculous. you know, it's it's just like that guy, and, and even like Chip said, to lead the league or at least even be up there in deflections, his wingspan is not anything amazing at all. So it's just this no. guy is like just on it. He has great court awareness. His effort is like at maximum all the time. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, those are, those are guys, very few that I would risk sacrificing cap space for, but, and I think Chip will agree with this to at least a certain extent. Like as Knicks fans, we've been, sacrificing and hoping that cap space would turn into something for years. Right. And it just hasn't mm-hmm. happened. It's true. So, you know, to, to even overpay really good, solid players and see how they help some of our young guys come along. Like I'll sign on for that. You know what I mean? Like if I can get a, if I can get some, uh, watchable basketball, um, in March, you know, I, you know, uh, not, not to sacrifice too much future, um, assets for that, but I, I would definitely look at it for sure. Yeah. What do you think? Um, sorry, I got one more question for you because I don't get to talk Knicks that much. And, yeah, <laughs> um, I'm one of those Nets fans that I want the Knicks to be good. I really do. I want I want an intense rivalry. I want oh, yeah. the battle of the boroughs. Oh yeah, it's super intriguing to me. What's the ideal role for RJ Barrett? Or like, can you give me a? Because uh, you guys have watched the Knicks all season. Like, yeah. What's a, what's a nice little comp for him moving forward? You think? Man, um, you know, so much of it depends on the shot, but I, I, you know, I, and and I'll sound like a little bit of a um, tape recorder here. Chips heard me say this a lot, but RJ really surprised me this year, man. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, when we drafted him, I, I was a little bit worried. Uh, he had great production in college. Chip will tell you that Duke's offense was really kind of non-existent. It was just kind of like give the ball to RJ, Zion, or Cam and, and figure it out. He, yeah. he put up a ton of points and, and had some good assist numbers. But I was very worried watching the tape about – and, you know, he was young, right? He was 18, 19. Like I was very worried about his shot, his shot selection, his defense, his awareness. But coming into the league – um, defensively, honestly, I was impressed. And and RJ is not a good defender, but he was he was aware enough to um, you know attack closeouts well, recover well if someone beat him off the dribble, um, a sneaky you know good steals here and there, um, decent awareness uh, you know weak side or off the ball. So there were things that I saw from him from just like understanding the game. Um, and really making some nice advanced reads in the pick and roll, you know, driving baseline and finding shooters out on the three point line. Um, and I just didn't see a lot of, because at Duke, I saw a lot of tunnel vision, right? I saw a lot of driving into three and four guys and, you know, just getting, trying to get his shot no matter what. And there was a little bit of that with the Knicks, but you know, I, I really liked what his, what, what I saw. There were some people that we talked to about RJ that would like to see him, in a power forward at the four uh, position, or even as a small forward, I think as a small forward would be very interesting um, to see how he does. But I love him as a secondary creator on the team, and if that shot picks up, I, I think he could be uh, really good. Um, Chip, what about you? No, I want him as a small forward too. Yeah, yeah I 
And power forward, I think, is worth exploring too. I think, I think it was Macri who wrote the big RJ as a power forward thing, and then in his newsletter, like compared him to like the size of all the power forwards in the playoffs or something like that. But yeah, I I don't think his future is as a shooting guard. I don't think he's ever going to be much of a shooter. And I think, but as a three, and he has he had a lot of trouble defensively too against opposing shooting guards. I think that's putting it nicely. I mean, he was a rookie, but still, he really struggled. And I think moving him to the three would be a big help. But yeah, I'd like to see him in that spot, and I'd like to see him as like a kind of a playmaking wing, playing a just playing a different position. And you mentioned him driving into crowds, and he was just driving into his teammates all year. Right. I mean, right. Mitch was always in there. Randall was always in there. Shit, like I mean. Yeah, he had no space, and he just—it'd be nice. He can't make a lot of plays for people when there's no one on the perimeter for him to make plays for. You, you know, you can't. I mean, you can pass the ball out to Alfred Payton. He's not gonna make the shot, you know. And Wayne Ellington had a ter- had like the worst shooting season of his career. Reggie Bullock was so hot and cold this year. Yeah, and you know they need to find him some guys who can make shots and. Obviously, he's not going to be a point guard, even though David Fisdale briefly thought he was going to be for some reason. But I think he I agree with you in that I think he can be like a secondary playmaker on the team and like a like a point uh, wing kind of player. And but I, I just wouldn't put him at shooting guard. I don't think that's his I don't think that's his position going forward. And that's why I wouldn't like shy away from maybe drafting a two guard type in the playoffs or in the playoffs, Jesus in the draft. <laughs> so yeah, but or signing one even in free agency trading, whatever, but yeah, I, I want to move them down and see, just d- don't put anything off limits with RJ position wise <laughs> this season, small forward, power yeah, forward, yeah. whatever, just, yeah, don't put them in a box. Yeah. There's no point. <laughs> I'll say, um, speaking of trades, I heard that Julius Randall might be, uh, available what were you guys uh it's funny because i used to actually blog a little bit about the pelicans before i got the nets gig and julius randall man he just i don't know how you guys feel about him but sometimes he was just so painful to watch offensively just an absolute black hole i mean you already probably already know all the narratives surrounding him if he's traded like what would you realistically want back or what would you look for in a return haul right now for uh one Julius Randle because I'm assuming he's not going to be a Nick much longer. I mean, I, I Chip, um, it's funny. Chip and I haven't had a chance to talk about this yet. This story just broke. Yeah, like, about it. I think it was like it was one, today, uh, a yeah. night or a night or two ago. But I'd seen some reports that um, the Jazz could potentially be interested in, in like, or at least Nick's fans wanted the Jazz to give us Mike Connolly and a draft pick. For Julius Randle, well, Nick's fans, no. Nick's fans TV, it was on. Right, that he said he heard that uh, that it was Mike Conley, Mike Conley for Randall. I think it right. was the the deal. But I think that, the, but I think was, someone, uh, on the table, right? I think someone had also said draft considerations too. I don't know if that was Nick's fan TV. Yeah, or, draft considerations. But I don't I don't see any world. I mean, and Chip, if you feel differently, like totally let me know. I don't see any world that the Utah Jazz would give us Connolly and draft considerations for Julius Randle. I know they want to get off his salary. Like I understand that piece of it, but like the the drop off in talent. And I know Connolly didn't have a great year, but like I I think we would be like fools to think that that the jazz would do that but i i don't know um in turn honestly in terms of a realistic return for julius randall like he's on he's on his 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 contract is only guaranteed for next season then i believe there's either a team option or a player option for the third year i forget which one um partially guaranteed partially guaranteed like partially so guaranteed yeah i you know he didn't I mean, he put up numbers. Uh, there's some, I guess, uh, Nolan, you were talking about writing for the Pelicans briefly. I know that there were some people that said that when he was at the five, he he put up some decent numbers. And I guess maybe yeah. his on and off stats were slightly better. But generally he speaking... He refused to play the five, that's why. Yeah. 
But, <laughs> so random. But the, the thing is, like, unless you're in the market for, honestly, like, really, Julius Randle could only be traded to a, a a decent team, right? That needs maybe some scoring punch from from a four position off the bench. Like, I don't, I don't really know where else he could go and and do well. And I don't really think we could get a lot for him. I mean, other than the fact that he still puts up numbers and he's in relatively decent shape, he played a lot for us. It's not like he, he injuries weren't a concern. So I guess that's a positive for him, but I really don't know what we could get for him. Chip, what do you think? I'd be fine with Mike Conley. Yeah, I would too. Oh, I would too. No, you could still, you could still sign Van Vliet. I mean, it, you can can come off the bench. Yeah. 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 I'd be Brandon fine with be Mike Conley. Six. Just get off him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. What um I no. think he can still be a salvageable six man on a half decent team. I think that's the best role for him moving forward, potentially. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. He was horribly miscast on this team. Yeah. Julius that's Randall. really what it is. Horribly miscast. Yeah. yeah. And in fairness, as as Knicks fans, we've done that a lot with players. We've asked players to do a lot coming here, um, based on previous production. Um, Garrett Jack, right? Remember Garrett when they Jack. tried to start him for like fifty games? Yeah, Jesus I mean, fuck. you know, we've we've done that a lot. I mean, Chris Duhan, he actually played fairly well for his his <laughs> career, but I mean, he was Chip 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 knows like we had him See, running man. Mike D'Antoni's pick and roll for a while, so yeah. like. Um, Nolan, one thing I wanted to ask you real quick, I know that, um, you, I don't know if you've done a ton of draft stuff yet and I, I'll admit, I don't know what, bit. what the Nets even have, uh, this year, but are there any guys? And the only reason I bring up the draft is because I really, really like, and you probably really like him too. I love Nick Claxton. Um, yep. big, big fan of him. I know Chip is too. And obviously, you know, when Kenny Atkinson was there, Guys did a pretty damn good job of developing players. Um, are there any guys in this draft that, or you know, around where the Nets are picking that that even even if you don't haven't done a ton of study or whatever that you just think might fit, or or even as supplementary players, right? Because most likely they're going to be, you know, who knows, bench guys that are going to spell K- KD and Kyrie here and there. Um. Yeah. The Nets got the nineteenth pick. I wrote one article about one certain um, potential draft pick that is really intriguing to me because, I mean, I know I'm not really a draft guy. I know we sort of like to throw the terms like upside, NBA ready, et cetera, et cetera. But I really do believe that Sadiq Bey um, is NBA ready. He's not going to be a uh, redshirt prospect. You can implement him into the offense. Or not really, uh, you can implement him into the depth chart yeah. sooner rather than later and that's exactly where the nets need if they are to keep that draft pick and actually utilize it as a player like Sadiq Bey um shot the ball well in college even though he's got a really uh, it's not it's not the most flattering shot form you'll ever see it's not Sean Marion bad but it's not exactly pretty like Clay Thompson's but he shot it effectively and I guess that's all that really matters uh plug and play three and d type I think that's exactly what the nets need just got to be a quality rotation player. They don't really have to hit this out of the park. And as you just mentioned, Nick Claxton, yeah, he's a guy that most Nets fans are really high on. Um, he played a little point guard in Georgia. He can handle the ball. There's a few clips that uh, circulated, around, circulated sorry, around Nets Twitter with um, Long Island, the G League affiliate, where he actually went coast to coast with the Rock. And I was like, oh, man, if that's what he can do at the next level, this is going to be really intriguing. But uh, – I think it's going to be really good for Claxton actually to play Cameron Durant every single scrimmage, every oh, single yeah. practice oh, guard yeah. him. Because, yeah, at his size, I mean, you're not going to guard anyone that has such a degree of or such a high skill set like Kevin Durant. I think it's going to be great for his growth. I mean, there's defensive potential. He could be a defensive Swiss Army knife. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie, he co-signed him this year. Um, he said he was actually the second most talented player on the roster, if that's true, I'm not, you know, I'm not so sure, but there is, there is good reason to be excited about Nick Claxton. I mean, he could potentially crack the uh, rotation next season, play 10, 15 minutes, be that high energy guy that gives you nothing but, you know, positives in his few minutes. He's a guy that I'm, 
I'm actually really excited about and I think could be a major contributor in this title window. Most definitely. Um, Chip, I'll ask, do you have anything else for, for Nolan before we get him out of here? Uh, I don't think so. No, I asked everything I wanted to ask, man. Do you? I think uh, I think I'm 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 tapped out with questions, but um, honestly, man, a really good conversation. I'm I, you know, at, at the end of the day, man, I'm I'm even as a Knicks fan, uh, I like Steve Nash. I've always liked Steve Nash. I'm I'm rooting for him. I you know I want to see good basketball in Brooklyn. Obviously, I want to see really good basketball in Manhattan too. Um, so uh, we will we will see. But honestly. The NBA is never short on storylines, and this is just another massive storyline going into next season. How Steve Nash will do with the star-studded lineup? Um, what, like I said, growing pains look like? You know, if and when they do happen, um, and obviously how the do, uh, how the two big stars play, because most likely that's really gonna dictate what happens. Um, but before Nolan, before we let you go, uh, if you could just tell the people listening, you know, where they can find your writing. Uh, on Twitter, if there's anything that you're working on now that you want to plug, uh, please do so. Oh, yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. Um, you can find me on Nets Daily. That's where I do my writing. On Twitter, I'm N-J-E-N-S-E-N-M-B-A. And I actually have a my own podcast uh, that I'm planning to start in the next coming weeks. So that's doesn't have a name yet. It's still very much in developmental. I'm getting the right gear, et cetera, et cetera. But that should be coming here in the next few weeks. Hopefully, I can get you guys on. We can have some little Knicks, Nets banter going back and forth. Who doesn't love that? So that's what I got going on right now. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you guys having me on here. Of course, man. Uh, well, we, we appreciate you coming on and, and taking time to talk uh, with us as well. I know Chip and I were both fans of your writing. Uh, we know, you, know you, Matt. And some of the other guys on Nets Twitter, you know, we really enjoy talking to and interacting with on, uh, on Twitter as well. Um, from, from Chip and myself, you know, we hope everybody's staying safe and uh, we hope to talk to you guys soon.